Welcome to the chat room. We got picks and games. We got everything you want and also some tame. We got the people where you find any meme you need. If you've got the tokens, baby, we are your machine. What's up, guys? I'm back. Not Joey's World Tour, though. Not yet. One of these days. One of these days, I'm just going to start housing snacks and uh, explaining how they taste pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it was very rainy earlier today, and then it was windy. Apparently, this is part of some tropical storm. And now it's beautiful. The humidity's gone. I don't know how long it'll last, but I'm living La Vida Loca currently. Someone wants a whoop, whoop, whoop. I can give you one of those. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Boo. Bra. Ah, so I wanted to uh, start by closing my end of a... Uh, hilarious online, I guess, back and forth, back and diagonal, maybe, back and perpendicular would be more accurate, uh, between me and uh, someone on Twitter who has been talking about me being a gateway to, uh, to Nazism. Uh, I talked about it a little bit. I read a, a tweet thread last time and couldn't stop laughing because of how funny it was. And, of course, that led to fodder and another round of tweeting and... I just wanted to say, okay, this has been fun. I think it's been funny, but now it's time to stop on my end anyway, because if you can't know, if you can't see how sterile and doomed any kind of engagement like that is, I don't know what to tell you. It can only provide the, like the joy of owning and, uh, and, and doing mind combat. It cannot resolve anything. So seeking, it, seeking to have it do that, which a lot of people do online, uh, is a fantasy, and I, want, I don't want to. I want to stop. Uh, I know it's a work in progress, like trying to totally disengage from online, and it's going to take a very long while. Uh, but one way, for me anyway, is to recognize a bad pattern and just end it. But I did want to say something publicly, though, because I just wanted to point out how perfect an example this thing is of the way that nobody online actually is trying to persuade anyone of anything. Uh, all they're doing is building heat around their persona, like their professional wrestler. Uh, and it's about pitching to an already established specific fan base of people who respect them, maybe give them money for some sort of media endeavor or activism. Uh, and, and that involves conflict. Uh, and that involves picking fights, and that involves getting responses. So... When I started responding, that was heroin into the veins. I mean, as much as the tweets might have been hysteric and, oh my God, look what he's doing. Doesn't he realize that he's, he's normalizing the honk pill and is going to lead to fash, uh, uh, mass shootings all over America? Doesn't he care? 
But in reality, she's thrilled to get a response that she can further uh, use to further the, 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 the illusion of a meaningful contest there. Uh, but at no point is any of this stuff geared towards a... As I, I mean, I read, the, I read the stuff and I talked about how just hearing it out loud was startling considering how ob- obscure and weird it was. Uh, and that just goes to show that the unengaged, the undecided are not considered in this dialogue. Like, there's no question about getting people who aren't on the team. Uh, it's about people who already agree with you on all this stuff. And that means that if, they get, if you get attacked back, that's just more grist for the mill. And that's... And that's why, you know, I don't mind doing it for a little bit because I don't think it's bad. For me, it's not like I'm scared of, oh, no, I'm going to get canceled by her. Uh, and it's not like I even think what she's doing is, like, terribly terrible. It's honestly a fun diversion. It's, like, a nice little t- place to riff for most people or to get their, like, anti-fascist hysteric anxiety out. Either way, they're having a good time. Like, a person tweeting about... A person sweating over their t- tweets about who they're going to, like, expose, what, n- what fash they're going to dox in their war against fash... Uh, every time they see a honk pill meme or they see me uh, triggering their, like, the Rube Goldberg co- uh, contraption that connects me to, like, a fucking, uh, the Walmart uh, Texas school, uh, the Walmart Texas shooter or whatever, uh, you know, the, the, the lines of, uh, of uh, dominoes, uh, of course, like, it's horror, it's horror and fear, but that horror and fear is tinged, it's tinged with, with pleasure. And everyone who's making fun of these goofballs, they're having a good time right out there in the open. But they're both having fun. And that's fine. Everyone's got to do something on the internet. Um, Might as well have some fun. And I think this is honestly relatively harmless because the people who uh, are wrapped up in this stuff, give them a busy box. I would rather them have them be online trying to stop the fascists on Twitter uh, than doing something helpful, which would undoubtedly be a massive disaster. Because... If you, if your ability to, like, uh, sift signal from noise, if your ability to uh, distinguish things by, like, meaning, by, like, uh, uh, with, like, gradients of meaning, if you, if you're, if you have any sort of uh, faculty for observing reality and giving it some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, like a, a, a emotional and, uh, and uh, epistemic triage, I guess, where you, you, I guess I'm just trying to say, where you understand there's a, real, there's a difference between the internet and reality. When you understand there's a difference between subculture, online, and politics, then uh, if you have that understanding, none of this stuff is, is, makes sense to you. And if you don't have that understanding, you sure as shit should not be trying to deal with people who can in the real world, it will be a disaster. Uh, and uh, so good, stay there. Keep fighting the good fight. And even, you know, hey, Patreons for fighting the fash, go for it. It's a nice little busy box for people whose basic ability to understand the world is not sufficient to the task of activism. Because... Uh, I just want to say, one of the accusations that was thrown at me is that, like, I was playing dumb about 
the reality of the clown pill or honking or whatever, like acting like it wasn't a real, like wasn't a real thing. It wasn't a real subculture that was really out there. Uh, and it's like, no, I know it's real. I'd heard about it before this. Of course, I'm, I was extremely online for God's sakes. I know about the stupid clown world bullshit. Uh, but not only is she asking an audience to take seriously the idea that that clown pill is a genuine gateway towards uh, real violence in the world, and not just in the proximate trigger of like, well, this alienated psycho who hated uh, everyone uh, also enjoyed this meme. I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. That, that proximate trigger thing, that's, that, that's how you got the, the moral hysteria around uh, video games and, uh, and films, and I know that's now it's, now it's actually hip on the left to talk like that, but I, I'm still holding out the good fight that no, that's not the thing. That's meaningless to the real questions of the structural causes of any kind of violence, including uh, uh, isolated lone wolf uh, murder. By the way, uh, it is interesting to me that these people are fixated on the concept of fascism, right? Which is, a, which is, in large part, defined as a mass political movement that uses organized legal and extra-legal violence to uh, assert power in the political arena. What, sh- what, what they have decided is the thing that they could actually like, pull out of this as, a, as, a general, as an actual justification for why care about this stupid bullshit online is will some of these guys end up shooting up a, a Walmart or, or killing a neighbor or something. And that's true, but by fixating on that, you've basically undermined any meaningful definition of fascism. Because if fa- fascism cannot be isolated people doing uncoordinated acts of violence. You think the brown shirts were just reading the Deutscher Bierbacher and then deciding to go out and punch a fucking uh, communist? Do you think they would have taken over Germany if they'd done that? Like, your definition of fascism is just late capitalist enemy. It's just, this, it's, it's, it, it, that means Columbine is, uh, is fascism. And... The thing is, is that kind of violence is a sign of a social dis- uh, of a society in decay at, at the level of its social fabric, which militates against the idea that there's enough of a social fabric to to generate a mass political movement that would be fascism. So they're already, even at the beginning, they've shit in their own foundation by going with a mechanism for what fascism it is and where it comes from, that is idealist fantasy that uh, genuinely misunderstands not only the difference between uh, media and reality, but the difference uh, between uh, like fascism and just antisocial behavior. Uh, and so that, that's our, they're off to a bad start there. Uh, but not only do you have to buy that end idea, you then have to say that this honkler bullshit is similar enough to the grill pill to mean that if you listen to the, my streams, or you will be more likely to then switch over to honking on the honk pill, and then maybe eventually, because of the honk pill people, going on to shoot somebody. Like, that's how you elide the idea, like, like the absurdity of saying, I'm going to cause fascist school shootings. Uh, by saying, no, no, Matt won't, but he will get people to take more seriously the idea of the clown or the honk pill. Uh, and that, that's the moral contagion fantasy. That is the, the confusion of symbols 
for reality that happens when you have completely detached from a material understanding of the world. Once that happens, you are in cloud cuckoo land, you are untethered, and your analysis will only become more arcane and self-referential and self-justifying. It'll get denser, it'll require a greater greater degree of weird conspiratorial logic and, and leaps of logic and symbolic confusion. Like, this whole thing basically starts because two things have the word pill in them. That's the essential thing. This is that they're able to take superficial symbolic similarities and extrapolate from that layers of meaning and, and that are fully fabricated in their heads. And that is why when, when Gwen said, Matt's not Antifa, I said, thank you, I'm not. I don't, the, the entire framing of that, the entire framing of this movement, the, the entire framing of this moment as a battle of ideas online between fascists and, and, and socialists is wrong, and it's a misapplication of energy. And I'm glad, yes, I'm not involved in that. Good. And of course, the double absurdity of that is that you're literally not even talking about any kind of group. I mean, the only people who want to argue that Antifa is coherent are its supporters and the Trump administration, so that they can claim it as a boogeyman equal to MS-13 or ISIS. Uh, but the reality is that there's no or, there's no coherence to it either. Just as there's there, the anti-fascists are unorganized, just like the fascists are, because you are operating at a symbolic level removed from the reality. Because the reality is is that people involved in politics, to the point of caring enough to go rumble in the streets about it, form a very distinct minority of Americans that are that are uh, generally classified along a certain age, specifically specifically age. Uh, and demographic groupings, uh, and geographic groupings, and, and that their influence on the political system is secondary at most. The real action is happening, uh, or at least the, the, the only way that the ship, this ship can be steered away from its uh, uh, course towards, towards apocalypse involves activating a number of people that simply will never be brought around by this sort of politics, by this understanding of politics. Numbers are the name of the game and the only thing that matters right now. Anybody wants to talk about fewer but better, it's like, motherfucker, we're starting from zero, almost. Uh, and we're, I mean, the Bernie Sanders campaign was an attempt to build capacity, and I think it did leave some capacity. Like, all, all, these, all these waves leave some, you know, they, they lap on the shore and they bring with them some sediment that, like, builds some foundational elements, and they, you know, there's like, there's some stuff that was left over after 2016 that wasn't there before, 2000, uh, uh, and then 2020, but it's still totally insufficient, and the, what happened to Bernie in those, in those later primary states, those less politicized pol uh, primary states, uh, that had less, like, that have a more, I guess, a less engaged, I guess I would use the word, uh, uh, voting group, or I guess like less politically wrapped up beyond, beyond the way the people who watch Fox News, which is other millions of people, still not a huge amount, but more, certainly more uh, economically influential because of their advanced age and therefore uh, their larger control of capital. Uh, but still a minority. But those people... Um, Those people weren't paying attention to any of this shit. 
They weren't paying attention to any of this shit the whole time. Like anything about what we were doing on our show, like scared people away because we were too mean or whatever the hell to the poor Warren supporters or anything else. Or the idea that like Bernie wasn't, le wasn't, uh, he was too woke. Bernie was too woke. He talked too much about trans bathrooms or something and that scared away the normals. No, no one was paying attention to any of it at all. And so that meant when it came to come time to, to vote, they just went clunk. Now, some people were paying attention in that older white suburbanites were paying attention to Bernie and freaking out about it and, and voted en masse for Biden. Like, uh, uh, that was a, a genuine mobilizing factor. But there was no... But the thing is, that was built in. That was going to happen. If Bernie was a credible can't challenge to the Democratic Party, he was going to arouse conflict, not only with the party hierarchy, but with sectors, the richer sectors of its party base. Uh, and so that was inevitable, but it was the only way it was going to be defeated was by engaging the vast number of people who were not involved in politics at all, uh, or were at a very superficial level, and that didn't happen. And if that didn't happen, it is my opinion that stuff that's even more esoteric and even more fine-grained and even more nestled with assumptions and value, uh, like assumptions about reality, assumptions about... Uh, 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 morality, assumptions about uh, politics and economics built into it that are not shared. Like that's why so many people like to assume bad faith. One of the big reasons people assume bad faith is because, like I've said about uh, people worrying, like, well, what do you, what about murderers if it's if if you abolish police uh, or abolish prison, and people will say, you know. You act like no one's written about this. Plenty of people have written about this. Don't act like this isn't uh, this is new. You're just you're just pretending not to know about that, so that you can uh, be a, uh, a sea lion. Like I'm sorry, no, no. There's plenty of people who have not done the reading, who are not uh, have not assimilated the entire concept, either to reject it or embrace it. They're hearing it for the first time. But, every, but the, not just that, like on all sides of, of, the, of the online, left and right, there is an assumption that, that, that you start talking to somebody about politics and at some point you're going to connect. There's going to be like a, a little latching on between your understanding and the symbolic language and metaphors that you use to describe it and their understanding of the world. Something's going to click. And then like the theory of one of the big theories of uh, behind... Uh, socialism and Marxism is that if you're trying to get that connection between people, material interests are the best way to do it uh, because it's the most, because uh, it's the least individualized uh, and that it can be, it, it's, it's, it's common among uh, uh, a wide swath of people that could hypothetically organize around that. But at this point, even the way people are understanding and thinking about uh, uh, material concerns are now so abstracted or, and, and on the other side, among people who aren't engaged with politics, uh, uh, those ideas are so buried that now there isn't even a place to click them together. There's nowhere to get the latch latching. But all this stuff just perpetuates just it's people winding each other up within a within a subculture. It's a subculture. You know, it's like. <clears throat> People think about political subcultures, and they say, well, what are political subcultures? And they're like, well, you got your tankies, and your anarchists, and your sock dems, and your honklers, and your... No, I'd say no, no. 
No, 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 no. That is, I'd say that politics is the subculture. I would say that having investment in political ideology, especially beyond a party preference, which a lot of people have who are otherwise normal, is a subculture. And all that other stuff that people fight to the death about is essentially just shading. It's uniform, so you know who's who. Like, it is the, the NFL, and then the tankies and the suck dems and the clown honklers and, uh, and the proud boys or whatever. They're the teams in the league who play, and we're in the stands watching. We're football fans. And I think the reason people make that mistake, like obviously a lot of it is, com is, is computer insanity. And I think that's a real phenomenon that we are not talking enough about. Like I've talked about MKUltra as, or I've talked about like the internet as both like a continuation of MKUltra and also the lead in the pipes of the, of the fucking, you know, our version of the Roman Empire. Uh, but that's not just it. I think there's other significant contributors. And I think a big one has been the... Uh, and of course, this is all facilitated by the internet, but it's not only a product of the internet. And that is the, 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 the fixation on Gramscian wars of cultural position standing in for uh, material politics. And I know a lot of people do that not out of malice, but because that is what can be fought. Like, what do you do about material conditions? How do you engage that uh, realistically in a depoliticized uh, country with basically zero class consciousness and no unified working class to speak of, either geographically, uh, ethnically, anything. Uh, so, of course, the cultural firmament becomes the only place to play. And I feel like one of the big misunderstandings of these uh, critiques of, of uh, like, the new, of um, the critiques of the critical theory tradition, from the Frankfurt School to the postmodernists and all that, and there's this, there is a current of blaming them for the, that cultural turn in, in, on the left. And I don't really think that's the case. I think that the cultural turn on the left was inevitable as soon as, as, soon as the, the, the material war ended. Uh, the, especially after that wall fell, what was left but the cultural uh, terrain. So that's, I think, the main contributor. Once again, the material driver of the cultural turn. Not, not because people were reading stuff. But uh, I think the reason that those thinkers get so uh, it became totemic and their concepts became used to build this this tower of Babel about um, about culture is because they were describing how culture operates in capitalism. Like that was the, that was the 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 the, the project. This is what cap this is how capitalism, especially like twentieth and tw the twentieth century. Techno-capitalism, this is how it operates as a governing ideology in culture. That's what they were tracing. And over time, especially after that pesky material uh, collapse of the left, uh, that over time turned into a, um, in people's minds, I think even, not even consciously, uh, that went from a description of this is what culture is under capitalism to a normative argument that like this is what society is always that this that, that this is not contingent and more importantly that it's not just culture that it's not it's not the way that the that material relations form a culture it's the way that culture takes over and becomes the entire terrain and that 
that's where the errors came in, I think. And that's where it, it, the snake swallowed its own tail. But that doesn't mean that the insights are inherently uh, uh, wrong. It's just that you're talking about, you're talking about the, the, like the, uh, the shadow, you know, you're talking about the shadows on, on the wall. Uh, and, and describing the shadows on the wall accurately, that has use. But it should not be mistaken for the totality of reality, which is how it has become thought of, which is what allowed people to turn all this analysis on its head and say, oh, you know, the way that uh, material culture creates all these uh, racial and, and uh, you know, gender uh, oppressions and stuff. Well, if we stop those, that'll end up uh, filtering down into the material reality somehow, when in reality, that's not what happens. But then you get people, but that, but that leads to confusion on, on both sides, because anytime I see anybody arguing about, yelling about feminism and saying that, saying the, making, first, they make a point that I think is totally accurate. They say, look at what modern feminism, as it has been culturally metabolized, tells women about what their life should be. It should be a pursuit of career. That that is, and everything else should be subsidiary to that career, fam, uh, family first, or career first, and family and everything else, and that that's 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 how you, that's how you actualize. If you if you do it the wrong way, you will be you will find yourself at some point thwarted. Uh, and they'll say, but everyone's miserable. All these women who do that, all these women who pursue their careers, are miserable. Uh, so what the fuck? And that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, it's it's a it's a observation of reality anyway. Uh, but uh, then they blame feminism for it. The idea being that oh, the feminism convinced all these women that they needed to go get a job. No, <laughs> the American economy stopped being able to support one family house, uh, one uh, income households. That's what happened. Used to be able to raise a family. In fact, for most of human history, you could raise a family on one income. And for the first time in human history, anywhere really. That was no longer possible. And then feminism becomes, of course, feminism emerging from that copes, gives you the, the cope. Like that's what culture does. It, it metabolizes alien, the specific alienation uh, and trauma that the, social, that the material order creates. And then it creates a mirror cultural version that attempts, that is designed, I mean, not designed, but emerges sort of like as a, as a uh, immune system for capitalism to transform that alienation into some uh, carrot on the end of a stick that you can go off. It's like, yeah, this sucks, but have you considered this? And that's what feminism is. It's like, yeah, this sucks, but if it wasn't for uh, those, that sexism, that job would be better. It's not that it work is alienating. It's not that no one should try to raise a family on two, uh, with both uh, people working. That's not ideal. And it's, 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 it's not necessary. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's inherently corrosive to, to the, like, the, the structure of a family. It is. It just is. It's pressure. Pressure makes it, human interactions difficult of all kinds. Uh, and, and that's why it should be relieved. Uh, but instead of focusing on the fact that the one, fa- the one income household is impossible now for most people... People want to argue about whether it's feminism's fault that women are miserable in jobs and delaying marriage and delaying kids or having kids and then not being able to make it work or anything like that. If you take away, if feminism loses tomorrow, if the, if the, if the red pill uh, takes over, 
then people still aren't going to be able to fucking live uh, as a family with one income, and women are going to have to keep be in the fucking workplace. And all of the horrible shit that they talk about, about, uh, about the destabilized uh, home life of late capitalist America, is recreated. And you could argue, well, yes, but if we got rid of the feminism, then you could get people on board with some sort of redistributed program uh, that would have like a family-friendly uh, policy. Well, if you haven't gotten rid of capitalism, then and in the, the moment we live in, which is a, a terminal crisis of capitalism and a, a crisis of uh, profitability that is irreversible, uh, there is no there is no room in the, in, at the inn for any kind of radical redistribution. So any politics that inco- that incorporates like the the conventional order is not going to be able to demand to make any demands other than superficial ones. And then what do you end up having is oh you know divorce was banned or some shit. And it won't have any real effect, or it'll sublimate all the fucking uh, alienation that you claim to have been curing. But and the other thing is, is okay, you've you've made your appeal to these people who don't like feminism, and now you've got them on board. What's this? You lost the people who are, are who do think that women should have, that there should be uh, like a role for women in the workplace and that and that you shouldn't have to stay uh to have two jobs but if a woman wants to work they should hell men should be able to stay home and that if women are in the workplace they sure as hell deserve to not have uh to face sexism in the workplace uh and that those are not that's a totally reasonable argument too and you could point, and they could point to the misery of the the pre-liberated housewife which was significant uh, and they're, they're, they're right too. And you're not going to convince them otherwise is the important thing. And so, oh, you got them and now you've lost them. And that means you have a new political configuration. You have a new constituency. And once again, it's too little. It's too small. You, it's like, uh, the fucking Aesop's fable where the, the mouse, the, the fox has the grape in his mouth and he go, walks by the water and he, and he sees it and he tries to get it and he drops, it opens his mouth and drops it in the water. And he loses both of them. That's what will happen. Either one of those. Like, we need to set serious about, like, setting the terms for the left of it being, like, radically hostile to religion and the family. Okay, great. This is America. What do you think you're doing? You are, you're guaranteeing minority status. But if you say on the other side, no, we need, a, like, an aggressively trad uh, socialism, well, then you've lost the other. The only way to, uh, to overcome that is to fucking recognize that feminism isn't the problem one way or the other. And that if you want to have it be a woman who works in the workplace, or if you want to be a woman and stay home, you should be able to do either. Because people should be able to live with, uh, without it being tied to a, a fucking compelled uh, exploitation of their fucking labor. Because both are true. The idea of all women should have a job is insane. The idea that all women should stay home is also insane. But we went from uh, tacitly uh, endorsing one, although it was never true for working class women, working class women always worked, uh, to mandating it through the market. So the, so the coercion is invisible. We don't see the coercion, so we just say, ah, it's feminism that made all those women go to work and get miserable. 
Of course I'm talking about liberal feminism. I'm talking about hegemonic cultural feminism, the kind people are always arguing about. If you want to know true Scotsman me, you can, but you could do that about literally everything. Because the thing is, people could say, well, like, even liberal feminism recognizes, you know, choice and recognizing, but that's not what the terrain of argument ever is. It's always on difference, and the difference is always the most ephemeral and least connected to reality thing because, it's, because you're trying to find an argument. I'm not broken. I'm totally normal and cool right now. So that's just to say, long way of saying, half an hour long way of saying, that, uh, that honk pill shit, I'm done with it. That honk pill shit, I'm done with it. Still, uh, still marginalizing uh, uh, voices, though. Beirut, I mean, they say there was a bunch of ammonium nitrate stored at the dock, and a bunch of people have said it looks like a fertilizer explosion, so th I don't know. It seems to me to be, maybe it's an Occam's Razor situation. Things like that happen all the time. They're going to happen more and more. Decaying infrastructure leads to uh, disasters and catastrophes, and there's a desire to see everything as a geopolitical ch uh, uh, chess match, but one of the... One of, the fact, one of the conditions of the great game is a steadily increasing amount of mayhem created by our decaying and destroyed institutions. But man, those videos were insane. How the hell could it have been a nuke? That's my favorite one. It's like, hasn't everyone seen every, like, Ocean's Eleven? It's like, it's like a nuclear bomb, but without the bomb. So instead of Hiroshima, you get in the ninth century. They have, um, nuclear bombs have electromagnetic pulses that go with them. And what they do is they knock out all electronic equipment in a given area. So if you're close enough to fucking have recorded it like that and have your windows blow out, your phone would have been fried. Thank you, Halifax. Halifax. Munitions dump, blew up. In Halifax, World War One. I. I think a lot of it is people just want, people want, people want everything to be the most it could be at any moment now, because we've seen everything, or we think we have, and so if something's going to happen, it has to be the most. And part of that is because how are we going to have a take if it's not the most? If it's just another thing. Yeah, Texas City. We need some, someone's. <laughs> uh, I don't know where this came from, and I don't know why it amused me so much, but someone in chat just demanded that we uh, that we that what America needs is a former. Uh, Ghanaian uh, junta leader Jerry Rawlings. Very amusing to me. 
Rawlings is an interesting cat, I gotta say. Rawlings is not does not fit the mold for most uh, like post-colonial um, African strongmen. Uh, because uh, he was sort of a Cincinnatus type guy, in that he would have a coup, take over, and then he would leave, and then he would come back after everything got fucked up again. Uh, yeah, like an yeah, like a reluctant dictator. Yeah, no, I always have a soft spot for Jerry Rawlings. Also, just because that's a really cool name, he sounds like a like a seventies uh, baseball player. I got a Jerry Rawlings rookie card. Uh, if the universe is infinite, well, the universe isn't infinite. I mean, it's it's expanding, so. I mean, it's infinite in that's everything. It is everything. But there's space, dude. There's a lot of space. And it takes a long time for light to travel through it. A long, long time. And they're all over the place. Nothing is outside the universe. Come on. There's nothing outside the universe. If you have to think of it three-dimensionally, the universe is... Uh, it's like a ball. It's an expanding ball. It's like, say, well, what's outside the ball? It's like, well, no. It's, there's nothing outside the ball. It's just a ball expanding. Best? No, no. The universe, the multiverse is not outside the universe. I think that the multiverse is simultaneous to the universe. They're all on top of each other. They're all happening in the same, in the same balloon. I don't think Moby Dick is about polytheism. It's about pantheism. In the, in the, in the great European pantheist tradition of Spinoza. But I do think that, uh, like black holes, people say, where, where do black holes lead? I think it's all internal. It's all, and it's, like, the, the, there are areas of, uh, of super density where there's, if there is, if there is possible travel between dimensions, that's where it is. Uh, big, yeah, I am actually fully on board with the eternal recurrence theory. Big bang, big crunch, like a squeeze box. But within that squeeze box are all of the squeeze boxes, all the universes, all the Earths, all the everythings. Squeezing, but not at the same rate. And the thing that, and like all that, and if you say how, I don't know. 90% of the universe is literally a question mark. It's probably somewhere in there. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know that dark matter stuff that's just a big hole, and they're like, well, there's something there, so we gotta call it something. Maybe something's there, huh? It'll, I don't know math enough to figure it out.
Uh, somebody posted a good uh, line from uh, Moby Dick that I would like to read. After Pip, the, uh, the cabin boy, is thrown overboard during a whaling mission, and he's on the water for hours before they pick him up, and afterwards he's, he's mad. Uh, and and he, it's, Pip saw the multitudinous God-omnipresent coral insects that out of the firmament of waters heaved the colossal orbs. He saw God's foot upon the treadle of the loom and spoke it, and therefore his shipmates called him mad. I know that feeling. You know what's really fun about, funny about that chapter, though? Uh, or about the, about the book in general? And, and then that chapter kind of uh, presages it. Is that, so it talks about, yeah, Pip went crazy. Uh, he was out there in the water. And, you know, when you go out there in the water, it's just you and God. And, and your brain can't handle it, you know. And you come back and you're not, you're not the same. Uh, and, and then at the end of that chapter, he kind of says, yeah, you know, that, that, came, that's, that insight, uh, keep that in mind, basically, he tells the audience. And then, of course, spoiler alert, uh, at the end of the book, Ahab, or I'm sorry, uh, after a uh, Ahab and the crew of the, the Pequot are all killed by Moby Dick, uh, Ahab floats al alone on uh, Queequeg's coffin uh, for, I think, a day before, uh, before he's taken. And that's like sort of the punchline of the book, is that the book has been written by somebody who had that experience, the Pip had. Gotta say, it was really good. I know it's stupid to say Moby Dick's good, but I feel like for a long time I didn't want to read it because most of those good books aren't really fun, you know? And I know fun isn't the only thing, but fun's part of it. And I think that's the big thing I didn't realize. Like, I thought it'd be great and I thought it would be profound, but I didn't realize how fun it would be. Oh, it's so fun. It is one of the most fun books you can read, in my opinion. I kind of want to, um, uh, Stonewall Jackson was an absolute, uh, mutant. Stonewall, wow, Stonewall Jackson. So, I don't know how many people know about this particular weirdness of Stonewall Jackson. Uh, but among other things, he was convinced that one of his arms was thicker in diameter than the other. And that as a result, when he had his arms to his side, one of them accumulated blood. Uh, to, and it would get heavy. And so occasionally during the day, he would hold up his arm over his head to let the blood flow back into his body. Uh, he also sucked on lemons all day. Uh, and was generally aware. I think he was probably on the spectrum, I would say. He seems like a good candidate among Civil War generals. If I was going to say who's the most likely spectrum... Uh, World War, or I'm sorry, Civil War general. I gotta go Jackson, number one with a bullet. I think, and I don't think it's close, honestly. Uh, and he was also, he was a prick. Fuck him. He got killed by his own guys, which is hilarious. I really, I, I hope that it got out who shot him, and then over the whole course of the war, they just got, like, bullied by the rest of the Army of Northern Virginia. Like, hey, try to... Yeah, hey, when you want to shoot the Yankees, just think of Stonewall Jackson, you fucking traitorous idiots. I did see Gods and Generals in the theater. I have not seen the five-hour extended edition, and I do not hate myself enough to ever... It is a genuinely terrible, and it's not just because of the politics, although the politics are genuinely wretched. 
Uh, and honestly, as someone who loved Gettysburg as a kid and loved Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and loved Jeff Daniels as Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, his turn in Gods and Generals is a betrayal. Like, he's not barely in it, and his one big scene is he, he does a, a Shakespeare quote about Caesar crossing the Rubicon, implicating the Union Army as the, the, the military that is uh, going to overthrow democracy and overthrow the Republic. Why would, why would Chamberlain say that? It's like, yep. The guy, who said, the, the guy who had the fucking speech in Gettysburg about we are an army set to send other men free. All of a sudden, like a year earlier, he's like, yeah, we're uh, here to subjugate the fucking uh, the Senate and, and the Republic and bury democracy. Fuck him. But anyway. Uh, terrible performances. Awful beards. Uh, but I think the worst thing about it is just how boring it is. There's only one fun scene, and it's the scene where a bunch of Confederate generals sit around a campfire and watch some fancy theater man sing uh, the Bonnie Blue Flag. One of the senators, by the way, was sitting uh, uh, a Virginia senator. One of, the, one of the generals was Virginia Senator George Allen, who was uh, on a fast track to uh, being the successor to George Bush, and then he was uh, totally destroyed by a political scandal that Looking back on it, it's insane to imagine that it happened only, what? It was 2000, I think it was 2006. Yeah, it was 2006. Only 14 years ago. It feels like something that happened in the fucking, like, the era of good feeling. It seems like it should have ended with a duel. Like, oh yeah, he was on, he was on, he was recorded on tape saying a, a obscure North African slur for, like, a, a dark-skinned person or, like, a native. People had to fucking bust, bust out a dictionary even to make sense of the, uh, of the accusation, and it still took this guy from the line to be president, and he lost his seat to Jim Webb, by the way. To born-fighting Scotch-Irish-ash Jim Webb. But the worst part about Bob, Gobs and Generals, by far, is that, like most Civil War... Uh, movies. It saves on money and uh, budget, or I mean, it saves on the budget and it saves on just ease of making the film uh, by high, bringing in real Civil War reenactors to play the soldiers, because they already have the equipment, they know how to march and do all the lines, the, the military formations, uh, and so it's way easier than, than hiring actors and having to drill them and equip them. But the problem is, is that American Civil War reenactors are fucking fat suburbanites. <laughs> They're fat middle-aged guys. And you'll watch these battles, and there's a line of Confederate soldiers, Confederate soldiers, going up, and some guy gets shot, and he's like a 300-pound fucking butterball turkey. He's got like a red face. It's like, is he actually, does he have a, does he have a, uh, is he wearing a Larry the Cable Guy hat instead of a Kepi? The average Civil War soldier was a fucking rail-thin teenager. Or near to it, anyway. They're just big... And they just stand there and they go bang and then they fall over. And of course there's no blood. And I mean, I'm sorry, but the Civil War was noted for its savagery. It was, it was the first... One of the first large-scale conflicts that took Napoleonic tactics and married it to, you know, post-industrial revolution military technology, which did not account for it. Oh, no, the guns aren't supposed to be that good. When you stand in a big line and you shoot at each other, the guns can only be so good. 
And it's like, no, no, we got rifling in the barrels now, and you can shoot them way faster. Uh, oh, fuck, no, this is bad. But they had nothing to do, so... I mean, they'd improvised... Like, they, they were doing fucking, like, World War I trench shit in Petersburg by the end of the war, but it took a while. And that's one of the big reasons that Robert E. Lee is such a fucking asshole, uh, uh, overrated motherfucker, is that he was a fully invested Napoleonic dipshit. And, and I mean, he it's like people remember uh, Pickett's Charge, but he, that wasn't even his only dumb frontal assault. Uh, Malvern Hill during the Seven Days was his first. That was another ass-kicking. And he'd seen the Union Army get just its ass-kicked doing uh, full frontal assaults on entrenched positions. He'd done it at Fredericksburg. Would the war, it is good that war is so terrible, lest we grow fond of it. What a, little, what a sanctimonious prick. Nothing redeeming about that guy. If, anybody, if somebody likes him, you can put them on the pay-no-mind list because there's nothing to like. Wildly overrated. Uh, he got his ass kicked by McClellan most of the times they fought, and McClellan was a fucking moron. Uh, and then the other wins he ra- racked up, it's like, he's like, uh, uh, Robert E. Lee is the general equivalent of a college football team that just racks up, uh, um, racks up wins and point differentials by playing a bunch of like scrubs, like barely, barely, uh, trip, uh, you know, barely, uh, top division schools. And then as soon as Grant showed up, oh, fuck. Oh, no. What's this? Oh, he's not able to do his tactically. It's like, yeah, sure, he's lost a lot of his army, but one of the big reasons he lost so much by then is that he invaded the North, which was the stupidest and most pointless thing. What are you doing invading the North? Your entire advantage is that you have mastery of your area. Time is on your side. Uh, if you were able to maintain like an inter- internal interior like lines of uh, control, you can bleed them out, especially that early in the war before uh, Sherman had broken through in the, in the West. What are you doing? Yeah, play for time. You're, you're, you had, they had guys trying to persuade the British and the French and the Russians to, uh, to recognize the Confederacy for... Uh, and they'd been getting places. It was a close-run thing. It, honestly, it's the working class of England is maybe one of the most... had more influence on the, the, the victory of the, the Union than almost any other uh, uh, force outside of the United States, certainly. Is that because the leadership of, of UK... And Napoleon III and the fucking Tsar were all in favor of. Uh, uh, I think the Tsar was uh, uh, was was not as. But I know the Fran- France and England, but they were on board to recognize uh, the Confederacy. They wanted it. Yeah, give, give us give us the fucking uh, carve up carve up the American continent, break up that superpower. You want that? Why wouldn't you? Um. And the other thing that you're not considering is, is even if it's looking bad, one, it still took them two years, so whatever reckoning, you're like, we have to do it now, you didn't have to do it. They didn't have to do it. Look how long they were able to hold out even after spending their shot in uh, going north. They didn't, if they 
fought a defensive war, they probably could have lasted longer. Because they still lasted pretty long. The idea that he had to go north or they would have, like, it would have collapsed, that's absurd. And then he fucked it up. And then, of course, there's the smugness. Just like that war is so terrible that we should grow fond of it. Shut up, you freak. Sicko. Willich or Siegel? Willich, come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, theories on Bohemian Grove. It's, it's a weird, uh, fancy dress party for uh, pretentious rich dickheads. And maybe they sacrifice people to Moloch. I don't know. I kind of feel like it's too on the nose to do it there. I feel like they do it elsewhere. I will, I will say that, uh, just as a last word here before I, I wrap up, that I will recommit that I will never kill, I would not kill Baby Honkler. And now that gives me an idea for something which, if I had Photoshop abilities, I would do. I would get, a, uh, if I could get the footage at the very end of, if anyone has seen Come and See, the Soviet movie about the, the Nazi uh, counter guerrilla war in Belarus, pretty intense film. And it ends with this kid shooting uh, this, this vengeful child sort of, confronted with a picture of baby Hitler and he can't, he, he finds that he can't kill the baby. You know, it's a classic kind of, you know, plea for, plea for understanding and all that. Uh, and I just imagine you cut that in and you just have it, you have the kid looking and it's just baby Honkler instead. Like Honkler with like a, a, a diaper on. I think that'd be pretty funny. Well, you don't even have to kill Hitler. If you can go back in time, presumably going back... Uh, I mean, just take Hitler and, like... Take him to the... Uh, take him to the United States. Give, like, uh, go to their house. Take the kid. Take a, take a boat to uh, the U.S. and, like, drop him on an orphanage door. What's he going to do? What's Hitler going to do if he's like grows up a, like a, a Catholic orphanage? Like, with Babe Ruth in Baltimore or something.
I actually have read Miss Lon Lonely Hearts. Nathaniel uh, Nathaniel West, the guy who uh, the guy who first had a character named Homer Simpson in the Day of the Locust. What's wrong with Christian Yelich? That's a good question. Maybe it's just a sign that no one should be doing this and that it's stupid and that they should stop playing baseball. I don't know. I, so I don't have any hope for the Brewers to win this year. But I don't know. Would if you're if you are a fan of a team that has never had a championship in your life, right? Like I'm a Brewer fan. They uh, went to the they went to the uh, World Series once when I was a wee baby, and they uh, lost in seven games to the fucking Cardinals. Curse them eternally. Uh. And, I, you know, that's really the only sport thing I have any kind of investment in. I don't really care about basketball. If the Bucks are good, go for it. Oh, maybe that's a good example. Uh, or, you're, you know, the Indians or something. Or the Mariners, my God. If you won this year, would you... Would it count? Would it feel... Would it feel like anything? I kind of feels like it would be just such a massive asterisk that I wouldn't be able to invest myself. Does that make sense? No asterisks on championships. I don't know, man, when it's a 60-game season with a bunch of weird uh, gimcrackery in the, in the playoffs. Come on. Come on. It would be a very Mariners thing for them to do to finally win a World Series in, a, in, a, in the COVID season. Yeah, no, I think there's, if you want to watch it for its, for its soothing aesthetic uh, attributes, which I certainly favor... All, absolutely. But one, I don't think this is very good baseball. And two, it just feels drained of meaning. It feels like the meaning of it is to deny reality. It feels like every game is just a, a thumb in the eye of, of our consciousness of, of what's happening around us. It's an attempt to just drown us in a fucking pail of honey rather than look around and see what the fuck is going on. And that this is not normal. Uh... I thought Sean, Sean Doolittle said something really cool in, a, in his press conference when they were starting this up and they were already botching it. And he said, and, and this was before the season started, and he said, sports are like a reward for a society. You know, like, like uh, something, something as frivolous, as a fundamentally frivolous, as a professional baseball league. That should be a reward for, for a society creating a certain degree of functionality. Hey, now we can watch baseball. We do not, we have not reached that. We don't deserve it. I don't mean that in a moral sense. I just mean that we do not, we cannot afford it, basically. We cannot afford the attention. We cannot afford the mystification of thinking that we live in, a, in the normal times. Because it's killing people. It's literally killing people. 
and it's making it almost it's making sure that it'll be longer and harder to deal with this than anywhere else god i know it's cheap to say this and i know it's 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 cringe and i know that it's blue pill uh it's blue pill hillary uh resistance kafifi shit but you have to admire just admire the breathtaking irony of the trump administration spending its first year or so first first two years focused fully on heightening the social contradictions around the issue of immigration. Specifically, who gets to come into America? Do Muslims get to come into the America? Not on our watch. They're dangerous. Do Mexicans and uh, other South, South uh, Latin American immigrants get to come in? Absolutely not. They're, 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 they're killers. They're killers. And now, his term is ending, and the American passport gets you into as many countries as, like, North Korea's. You literally, we can't leave. We can't fucking leave. I mean, come on. Rod Serling wouldn't have fucking put that out. So we have to watch as other places figure it out better. Although seeing all those knobs in Germany running around was kind of nice, honestly. It felt good to know that they're out there. Maybe not as many numbers as here, but they're out there. Yeah, America, America loved the carceral state so much that they made the entire country out of the prison. I'm not snorting cocaine. Thank you, no much. I'm taking legal, legal uh, CBD vapes. Germans are the largest ethnicity in America. It's true. Everett Rummage, the host of American Napole- of uh, Age of Napoleon, has a theory about the uh, the essential German soul being like warped. And I know you know that's that's that doesn't sound very materialist, but if you if you organize around the language, if you organize around German, and you think about how weird German is and how rich with untranslatable mass uh, multisyllabic concepts, and the way that being able to think that way impacts the way that you uh, view the world. I don't know. There's a reason that, you know, German idealism is a thing. And the pursuit of idealism in a material world drives people and societies mad. In different ways, depending on the conditions, but it's inevitable. Uh, Adam McKay was cool. Adam McKay, you know, people can say he's a lib, and it's like, yeah, people are fixed in time and place, and but he's made, I think that he has adjusted to reality better than pretty much anybody in his social situation I can think of. I mean, because the incentives run so far the other direction that uh, it, seeing anybody resist them is really uh, awesome. And knowing he's a fan of the show, honestly, is, is childhood dream come true, because I was not bullshitting when I said that that I knew him as a kid watching SNL. Like, I recognized his stuff. Uh, and, you know, 
was a big fan of, obviously loved all the Will Ferrell movies, but, you know, his, his shit is, is still, in my opinion, the best, the best stuff SNL did in, like, the post, maybe, like, Pat, since Mike, uh, since Mike O'Donoghue, anyway. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was cool. McKay's cool. I'd like to have him on again. And yes, shout out again to Sylvester Sloan, who, if you haven't seen it, his performance in the Orange Julius sketch, it's heartbreaking. It makes Copland uh, look like... Uh, it makes Copland look like over the top. Boom. Boom. Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's Copland... It's... Uh, it, the Orange Julius sketch makes Copland look like stopper my mom will shoot there we go that's better that's the funniest stallone name i simp i simp i thought jim downey was pretty much well uh well established to be a conservative i thought jim downey was like a republican i thought that was pretty well i thought i thought that was pretty well uh documented I mean, I don't know enough. Maybe not. I think my favorite for last per minute, I think... Hmm. Someone's asking my... This is my last question. My favorite, I think you could, should leave sketch. Uh, and that's very tough because I think they're, the, the vast majority are really, really good. Uh, I think just like laughs per minute, the Vanessa Bear... Uh, hog pig dick girl uh, lunch scene is just so good but I think for longer more baroque ones uh, it might be honk if you're horny it's really hard to beat honk if you're horny hot dog sketch is also very good I'll keep naming them if I keep thinking it's really good I can't wait for a second season Friday night, and I'm thinking that we just might live together when we don't know who we are. This will be the end. Now to sing a song, Son of the Deceased. Day, night, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking that we just might fly away. What I don't know who we are. Now it's Saturday. Friday night, and I'm thinking that we just might find another way somewhere. Uh, Exactly who we are. We 
We can be who we are. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom.